Before we begin our formal meditation, to uh, give you a context, I'm going to show you in meditation how to use the structure that I was describing last night in terms of a way to make the paramis as a practice rather than as an intellectual description, but as a practice, your own. Uh, you know, I learned this technique in great detail from uh, the Venerable Sumedho and, uh, uh, and his teachings of the Four Noble Truths, which you know, became the basis for uh, my book, Dancing with Life, in which I do the same thing as seeing the Four Noble Truths as 12 Insights. But my whole time of practice, all of these decades, I've always taken these Buddhist lists. And said, so I, I get them as intellectual descriptions, but how do I actually practice with them? And this is what I was starting last night with the idea that I would then show you this morning what I was describing last night. In order to do this at a, a few places, I'm going to refer to my own practice uh, in, in a, a vulnerable way uh, to demonstrate to you how it actually feels to, to uh, take one of these lists <laughs> and, make it, and make it actually a practice experience, uh, an edge, a dynamic edge for, for, um, for our practice. So that's what we will be doing this, this morning after we uh, uh, arrive in the room, arrive at our practice, arrive inside, and then uh, arrive in the body. Then we will, we will, it will gradually uh, focus on these in this way. I invite you to come along to learn whether or not it turns out to be of interest to you, for you at all. The process of how to make a practice your own is worth becoming aware of, regardless of whether or not you have any continued interest in the paramis. Arriving. Arriving where? Here. Wherever you are. Arriving when? In this very moment. Here. Now. Arriving in the external conditions. Sound in the room, sound outside the room. The temperature of the room. Outside conditions. The feel of the chair. Arriving inside 
to how it feels internally in this moment. You may feel soft. You may feel tired. Be more specific and feel inside in relation to your mind. Just notice in state of mind. And the state of the heart. Mind, heart. We bring into awareness when we arrive. Bringing mindfulness front and center. Mindfulness, the means, the tools, and the result, one of the results. Here and now is known through the mindfulness. Being in the here and now gives a sense of being present. Present how? Present with mindfulness. And we know that we're here in a mindful way. Here and now starts to have a a vibratory presence. And it is enhanced when we recall, we become mindful, the smirti, the remembering aspect of mindfulness. We remember our aspiration. the goodness of our aspirations. The wise view, it's called. And then we remember, we arrive in the presence of the intention of how I want to meet the moments of my practice, how you want to meet the moments of your practice. non-harming in the way I practice. With a kindness towards myself and the practice and a kindness towards others and my thoughts. A very clear intention to be mindful. Moment-to-moment intention. Will I always do it? No. Will you? Not yet. Ease around intention. As best I am able. Intention becomes the ground a ground where we stand, where we have perspective, where we're present because it's solid, so grounding.
being connected to intention. It will work for you equally in practice and in your daily life. In a way, revolutionize your life. We rest in intention. We align with intention. And this way, we complete this journey into the here and now. We've established And now we aim our attention. It's called Vitaka. We aim our attention at the body. And when the contact is made, we sustain Vachara. We sustain our attention on the body. And this same process applies to all objects that arise in the mind when we're making them objects of meditation, of investigation, of contemplation, aiming and sustaining, contacting and maintaining contact, applying attention, rubbing, as Pandita says that I quoted before. So we're meeting the body as the body is here and now. open to the experience rather than using screens. The screen of, oh, I like how this is in the body or I don't like how it is. Not a useful screen. Interesting to note when that's happening, but in of itself, not so useful. Not judging the body, not comparing the body, not trying to fix it to be according to some idea we have, but rather meeting what's true here and now. The body feels like this. We have a consciousness of what the body feels like. We know that we have this consciousness. This is the greater mindfulness And we know we know. Our knowing is strong. Part of the ground. Here now. We've arrived in our practice. Receive the experience. There is a feeling, modestly, but nonetheless, a feeling of awakeness, of presence, of having choice, of being able to participate in how you experience the moment. And just possibly somewhere 
a quiet or not so quiet sense of well-being here and now. For me, I smile when I arrive. And the smile is one of gratitude and a little bit of amusement. Feel the pelvis and the chair, the bench, the cushion, the bed, the floor. Feeling skin, feeling through skin, feeling the flesh and all the parts that go with the flesh, arriving at the bones of the pelvis. Earth element, earth element, hard, firm, heavy, earth element. Feeling the femur bones, those thigh bones, and the upper legs. Feel through skin, flesh. Hard, firm, heavy bones. All the way down forming part of the kneecap. Earth element, earth element. The lower leg bones, those two lower leg bones, tibula and the fibula. From kneecap to forming part of the ankle. Firm, hard, heavy. Earth element, earth element, earth element. Here, now. Earth element being known. Here, now. All the bones in the ankle and all the bones in the feet and all the bones in the toes, hard, firm, heavy. Earth element, earth element. If you will, please, allow, invite, release the earth element in the body to rest on Mother Earth, to allow Mother Earth to support. In martial arts, it's called weight underside. Zen, it's called sitting in the bones. And one may have a different sense, a sense of ground of earth.
the body may find an ease where the lower belly is freer to receive the breath or that lower spine has more room to respond to breath or no change. Notice the characteristics of the earth element. Steady, still, relatively still, relatively quiet. This can soothe the mind, steady the mind, have the mind feel safe, bring us more deeply into our most inner experience. Earth element resting on earth, the still point of the turning world. With the stillness of the earth object element as our object, we start to notice that in addition to that stillness, there is movement. The stillness brings the movement more alive, more full. Its contrast brings us more fully into focus with it. And so we deliberately move attention away from the earth element as a mind object to the wind element. This movement. The movement may be vibratory. It may be a feeling of pressure. It may be a feeling of pulsation. It may be a feeling of rising and falling in the belly or expanding and contracting in the chest or a feeling of in and out at the tip of the nostrils, or a wave feeling passing through the whole body. Wind element, wind element, and it's different forms. Movement, movement. And then we notice something Kind of remarkable. Just as we can stay focused on the earth element and its stillness, somehow we can stay focused, steadily focused on the wind element in all of its movement. Most amazing. Where is this? capacity, the steadiness of attention. Here we learn more fully 
the great capacity of attention. We can take an ever-changing object and hold steady our attention through mindfulness. Stay with your breath and see. Prove to yourself right now. reassuring just as the earth element is the steadiness of attention it relaxes the nervous system it allows for the mind to relax in such a way that we actually soften into the experience so that we know it more intimately This inhale. It's a kind of receiving of it. This exhale. Intimate. Softening into. Not moving around. Not pushing or pulling at it. But being with in this receptive, knowing way. Thus, our ability to maintain attention is a ground in itself. Mindfulness is a ground. The knowing quality that mindfulness utilizes, this knowing capacity, is maybe the ultimate ground. The breath is enough. When the mind is steady, any given object is enough. Deliberately designating the breath as our anchor object so that if we get lost, we will just come back to it as we've learned to do this week. We now do what is sometimes called a contemplation practice or reflection meditation in which we deliberately bring up objects into the mind to be reflected on, to be contemplated, to know them with wisdom. It's not an intellectual chewing particularly, but rather a direct knowing and recognition. The Venerable Sumedho 
I would do this on the Rains Retreat. I've listened to the tapes of his doing the Rains Retreat at this kind of instruction. And so we deliberately turn our attention towards the paramis. This is a deliberate practice. And we contemplate the first three of the paramis. This capacity that we have towards generosity, generosity in attitude, generosity in regards to time, generosity in regards to sharing, generosity in terms of view, thinking the highest of others to be proven otherwise. We feel the energetic feeling of generosity. Think of a time in your life, no matter how small or how large, when you receive generosity. The felt sense. You may not have recognized it at the time. And then a time when you were generous can be so small. And what does that feel like now? Again, maybe a slight smile in appreciation. And then including sila, this ethical behavior. What it feels like when you don't compromise yourself, don't have to separate from yourself, don't have to split off out of guilt or trying to justify or out of shame or trying to avoid having to acknowledge. Energetically, what does that feel like? Now the more unfamiliar renunciation. We practice renunciation all the time, but we don't label it as such. So we don't uh, we don't know how to necessarily make it every day. It's got some sort of a 
mm, too much. I'm not sure I want to go there, quality, because we don't recognize its everydayness. You don't indulge in violent speech so many times or unthoughtful action so many times a day. And so taking these three together, can you see how this is a basis for a life, for a contemplative life, a meditative life, a mindful life? To have built up the mindful capacity or through mindfulness, building up the capacity of renunciation so that you're at ease in relation to your behavior. Or you have a generous spirit. This alone, these three can be worked with in practice, both sitting practice and walking practice and walking around mindfulness, everyday mindfulness practice, improving, understanding more, staying more in touch with this generous spirit towards others. Again, it's not mostly material. It's mostly this connection And out of that, all things are given. Your time, your benefit of the doubt, and so forth. This becomes a basis for living our daily lives and a basis for practice. Why practice? Because the mind isn't involved in trying to release itself from its unskillful actions, from its interpretation of others and what we think of their unskillful actions. And so there's a well-being that comes from this level of these three a kind of understanding grows right there. Just these three in practice. Your understanding will grow and grow and grow. And then in our formal practice, with these three as a base, so we have a base we have, a, we have a, a kind of a first level of rocket that can launch us out of the usual clinging mind. We then look to the needs of practice, and we definitely need energy to practice. And we know that in contemplating dukkha, the first noble truth, 
and contemplating the hindrances, contemplating in Nietzsche that everything's always changing, that it takes a kind of courage to contemplate these things. They are existentially challenging, no matter what you believe. They are phenomenologically challenging. To turn towards, as Matthew was saying the other day, it is somewhat against the stream. We're wanting to know the heart of experience, the root of experience. It takes energy to do this, even with our renunciation. Encourage. So this virya energy, but a courageous energy. And in the same way, it takes patience. Because time and again, it's, we're not going to get there. Time and again, we're going to sort of get there. Time and again, we're going to not know if we're getting there or not. <laughs> no idea. So patient with the moment as it's unfolding. Don't know mind, the Korean Buddhists say. Don't know. This patience. And then this uh, resoluteness about being truthful with ourself. This, this um, wanting to know it, the nature of things, how it is that it's like this. The virya gives us the courage and the energy to do this. The patience gives us enough time to do it. And the truthfulness allows us to see it, to see our shortcomings, but also to see our strengths, to see our worthiness. to admire, to see that when we practice the Four Noble Truths, we're truly as practice, practicing ennobling truths. They ennoble, they lift us out of the mundane, the grime of life, into a more refined way of living. Thich Nhat Hanh says a better way to live. And so we use energy and we use patience and this truthfulness. We groom them. We, uh, as characteristics, we get to know them better. They become more entwined within our regular perspective, moment to moment. And that base of renunciation of, of our sila and of our generosity is where we start from. And they get better as we become more skilled at this, and as they become more wholesome than our practice, our energy is more vigorous, more available, more steady, our patience more uh, renewable, and our truth more clear, a patient truth, an energetic patient truth. Can you see how these three, these three can become 
a way of relating to practice, to relating to your daily life. They're not just a list, but they're, they're dynamic, they interact. We can just hold any three of these at any time, this first three or this second three, or any one of them, contemplating, examining, making it our practice for the week, that we're going to see if we can be more truthful with ourselves or more patient or for a month or as some of the students I've had for a year. My focus this year is patience. Wow. No matter what list, which of the list of the Buddhist teachings, the aggregates, the awakening factors, they can all come alive as practice in this manner. And then we contemplate, we, we contemplate in the same way without now making the object. I'm sorry, before we do that, we recognize the wisdom that comes from practicing in this dynamic way. So wisdom blossoms in the first three, wisdom blossoms here. And then as we bring metta in as a supportive practice, such a difference in practice. And the same with resolve, that we can hold this, we're determined to develop a dynamic practice. We have this resolve, this determination, and therefore we, we persevere. And the feeling of persevering is rewarding in itself. So we're aware of persevering, and we're aware of the challenging of it. We're aware of how less than perfect we are, but we're in appreciation that we, that we have perseverance, we know what it is, we know that we know, and we're able at times to summon up this feeling of persevering in our practice, independent of the others, or with these three, or with all the paramis, or just persevering and staying with the breath. No, think of the paramis. It's just this quality is now available in our practice, the quality of persevering. Wow. And so, so valuable. This slow, steady, uh, we fall backwards, we come forward of, of a kind of continuity of equanimity. This feeling of being able to be, meet any moment with just the right balance of participant and observer. We feel the ouch of dukkha but we also are knowing the feeling of the ouch of dukkha in a way that allows us to stay balanced. We feel the power of metta in this moment or of compassion, receiving compassion, being seen, being listened to is a form of compassion, form of metta. We feel it as a participant of receiving this kind of attention and we still have this spaciousness such that we we can know it so we don't get swept away 
this equanimity. And wisdom arises from our experience of each of these three and of the three as a dynamic and of each three supporting the other three and each one supporting the other. A year with the paramis, a month with each, however you might do it. In your daily life, your biggest time for practice is your daily life. If you are engaged in life as practice. Not so easy to do with all the stimulation. But right now, contemplate the possibility of more and more your life being one where you, you view it and you know you view it and you know you know that you view it as practice, that your intent your intention is to know life as practice. Of course, you have your goals, and you're going to accomplish your goals as best you're able. But you experience them more and more as practice of intention. And the goals become both less important and more achievable. Because our fear is less, our tension is less, our doubt is less. And it's ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. All of these years, generosity has meant so much to me. But now, being probably the oldest person I think in our Sangha here, there's part of me that longs for just more time to practice, to not, to not be giving my time in service so much. There's this feeling of wanting more time for my own practice. And likewise, more mysteriously, there's a really strong feeling of just wanting to be. And I I try to describe this at times to people. It's hard to describe. It's not practice, but it's not not practice. It's a different uh, manifestation of practice, possibly, to just be. So they say, well, what would you do with, what do you do with your time when you're just being? And I'm not doing anything with my time. I'm just being. So there's no objects, particularly. I'm just being, and I know that beingness is occurring. And I know that I know beingness is occurring. And so how do I choose? How do I choose? Why wouldn't I give my time to serving others? 60 hours is sort of a standard week for me. Why wouldn't I do that? I don't have anything I want particularly. So why wouldn't I do that? Other people have a lot of things they want. But I don't I don't just don't want very much. So why wouldn't I do that? But then what do I do with these feelings? These intuitive feelings. I offer this as an example of, of the natural tension as we practice. 
It's a natural tension between opposites. Your life is going to have these natural tensions. As you, as you focus on the qualities that make up a practice, the tensions don't go away, the questions don't go away, but they become more refined and more and more living the question becomes more important than finding the answer. I cannot explain that. You just have to practice to the degree to see for yourself. But what seems important is feeling the the question, the the this uh, the dynamic tension, what I call the edge of practice. So right now, that's one of my edges in my practice. What do I do with my time? And I see it among other lenses through the lens of generosity. I see it through the lens of metta. And I try to know the experience of the question through the lens of truth as best I can. And I can say that I am patient with the question. And I am in resolve to live this question, to let the answer arrive rather than my making up something, to live with the don't know mind. In the time we have left, receive whatever is useful in this reflective practice. And then throughout the day, you're invited to do your own reflection in your sitting. Once you've arrived and established yourself in body breath,
I have been slow and unsure in relation to how much to to share the 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 dynamics of my own practice. But I've reached this age where if I'm ever going to do it, now's the time because <laughs> there's not that much time left. And um, I, what I'm pointing to is for you, for you to have, uh, to make practice your own. I mean, it, it really can be your own. And I, you know, I meet with so many students and so often they've not, made practice their own it makes it more central part of your life and there's a renunciation in that really i mean owning that but that renunciation uh, the 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 trade-off for this lesser happiness for the greater happiness that i don't know if it was matthew or i can't remember who was speaking about that but it is a a, it's a trade-off but i think it's a good trade-off it's up to you to find out But if you don't get intimate with your practice in this way, it's got problems.